Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 102. That was how it began, that first day. Barely a hundred of us, farmers, tailors, and shepherds, makeshift weapons in hand, food and other supplies carted behind. We started on the road towards Triel. But by the next town, we were 200. People kneeling before the lamps, grabbing their belongings. By Sir de Gavre, we were 300. And at the crossroads between north and south, a hundred more were waiting. Clubs and hoes and a hundred shields in hand. I marched at the front, carrying the lamps. I could not believe these folks had come to follow me, in a full suit. Yet at every corner, more joined us. Also, he's still wearing the jester suit. Like, wash your ass. Come on, man. Squat and, and, and wipe. Like, come on, dog. Somewhere. Somewhere. You're still wearing the clothes. They got blood all over them from the first fight when you killed Norcross. Wash your ass. Like, man, yeah, the lance might have the dried blood of the, of the Savior on it, but your ass got the dried blood of people from fucking Bore on it. Wash your ass. Man, please, squat, get down into a catcher's position, take a, a towel or, or a leaf or something, put some lavender on it, some jasmine, I don't care, and just work that hand back and forth and wash your ass. Ugh, nasty, your teeth probably yellow, wash, ugh, God, y'all all stink. Y'all can't hide from nobody. Like, I never understood that. Like, in this, and in The Walking Dead, and in anything else, where it's like a, 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 a war-torn anything, like it's a dystopian future, or, or, or a past of, like, medieval times. Like, Game of Thrones, everybody should be filthy. Everybody. If they're not the king and the queen or the two that slept with each other and were brother and sister, they should smell like straight ass grease. It, it's a thing. They knelt, husbands, wives, kissing the lance and Christ's blood, singing praise and vowing the nobles will crush them no longer. Banners were hoisted with the purple and white lines of Triel upside down or with the crest slashed and tattered. It was like the hermits march all over again. The hope and promise that had captured my soul more than two years before. Simple men, 
farmers and serfs and bondsmen banded together to raise up their lives, believing that the time had finally come, that if we stood up with the might of numbers, no matter how long the odds, we could be free. Are you tired of being shat on? went the refrain as we wound past a watching goat herd. I came the reply. I've been tired my whole life. All my life I had to fight, farmer. All my life I got down like, yeah. Swords up like, yeah. I saw Nazareth. I'm messed up and you messed up and he stinks, but we gonna be all right. Hey, Kendrick. And what would you risk? Another would shout to gain your freedom. All that I have, which is nothing. Why do you think I'm here? The ranks swell with people from all corners of the forest. Follow the lance with the cry decor. The lance held by the fool. Then it changed like three days later when people actually <sighs> follow the lance with the cry decor. Followed by that fool up there. He stinks. That fool smells bad. Follow the smell. The lance is right behind it. Your smell literally walks in front of you like a shadow warrior. <sighs> By St. Felix, we had grown to 700 strong. By Montres, we had lost count. We could no longer feed them. We had no more stocks or provisions. I knew we could not stand a drawn-out siege. Yet people continually joined. Near Moulin View, Odo edged his way up to the front. Behind us was a column of peasants at least a thousand strong. The big smith grinned, walking alongside me. You have a plan, don't you, Hugh? He eyed me warily. Of course I have a plan. You think I brought all these folks along for a picnic in the woods? Good, he sighed. He dropped back into the ranks. Never doubt it. Of course you have a plan, I heard him whisper to George the Miller, a row behind. From Moulin Vieux, trail was two days march away. That night, I crawled up at our fire with Emily. Behind us, the glow from hundreds of others lit up the night. I stroked her hair. She nestled close. I don't know how she does that. I told you this was no accident, she said. I told you if you stood up the lead, they would follow. You did, I held her. Yet the real miracle is not them, but you. That you will follow. No, the real miracle is that in this moment of need, nobody's created deodorant. Hold on. Because y'all know what I, y'all know how I do. When was deodorant invented deodorant was invented in 1888 that's 800 years from then I'm not crustling up and I'm not cushioning up I'm not cuddling up nah we doing a doggy style I'm not getting in your arms nah I need to be away from you facing downhill downwind upwind I don't want your wind getting anywhere near me it wasn't invented for 800 more years and y'all marching in a group through force and all that. Nope. 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 For me, there was no choice. She rolled her tongue and toyed with my jester's tassel. I always had a thing for a man in uniform. I laughed. But now comes a real miracle. Triel is two days away. I have a thousand men and only fifty swords. I overheard you had a plan, Emily said. The outline of one, I admitted. Father Leo says we should drop our demands. That taxes must be reduced immediately. That all fights should apply towards purchase of a parcel of land. That any nobles that take part in raids must be brought before the courts. 
Look at the numbers. Emily nodded optimistically. Baldwin will have to sue for peace. He cannot fight us all. He won't fight us. I shook my head. At least not right away. He knows we cannot provision such an army for a long siege. He'll wait us out. He'll stall and let the song subside until the food runs out and people lose patience and start to go home. Then he will open the gates and send out his dogs to slaughter us. He'll chase us down and burn our town so thoroughly, even the scavengers will not think anything was once alive there. I've seen Baldwin's diplomacy. He will never submit. He's too legit. Too legit to submit. You have known this from the start, haven't you? That the Duke would never comply. It was what was troubling you back in Vel de Pere. I nodded. So if you know this, Hugh, what then? All these people, they've given you their hope, their very lives. What it means, I tucked my head into her lap, begging to drift off to sleep, is that we must take him. <laughs> I'm not putting my head in her lap either. I mean, probably cleaner than, much cleaner than his lap. Like, we don't have self-cleaning inside of us that takes care of smegma and ball sweat but still oh let's just lay side by side you know what you lay with your back up against me Forrest and I'm gonna lay with my back up against you and that way neither one of us have to sleep with our head in the mud Emily raised herself up take him in order to take Baldwin you must seize the castle too yes I yawned that's usually the case Emily shook me. Do not jest with me, Hugh. This requires weapons and provisions for this. You have a plan. The outline of one, I told you. It lacks but one thing. I curled myself into a warmth. Fortunately, it is the thing you're best at. And what is that, Hugh? She pounded my shoulder. A pretext, my lady. I glanced up and winked. Chapter 103 Daniel Gee's sword clattered as he rushed into the Duke's sitting room. He was Baldwin's new Shadowland, having taken over for Norcross. You can't go in there, said a page, flashing a cynical wink. The Duke's in council. The Duke will find this news more urgent than any meeting, Daniel said, and pushed by the page. His lore was upright against the wall, his leggings down, fucking a young chambermaid. Daniel cleared his throat. <clears> throat> Liege. The maid gasped and fixed her skirt, running out through another door. I'm sorry to interrupt, the Shadowland said, but I have news you must hear. Baldwin pulled up his leggings as if it was the most natural thing in the world and tied his tunic. I hope this news is crucial, Shadowland, for it has taken me months to back that little sow up against the wall. He wiped his hand across his mouth. Baldwin disgusted the young Shadowland. Daniel looked at his position as a chance to serve his native town, not plunder and slaughter defenseless subjects. He told himself being in the Duke's pen was not tantamount to being a pig. It is news that a redhead you seek, the jester who escaped after killing Norcross. Hugh? That little canker. Baldwin sprang alive. What of him? Speak. He is turned up. In his own town, after all. It seems he has led an uprising there against a raiding party from Bore. Uprising? What do you mean, uprising? There's nothing but field mice and manure out there. Apparently, these field mice defended their nest quite well. Our messengers report that all of Stephen's men were killed. Baldwin shot up out of his seat. 
You tell me this little mob worm has led a bunch of farmers and hayseeds against Stephen's crack troops? It is so. But that's only the tip of it, my lord. A tremor of enjoyment rippled through Daniel as he knew the next piece of news would send Baldwin into a rage. The thing Stephen's men sought, this will amuse you, was apparently a relic stolen from the crusade. Some kind of lance. The holy lance? The duke purses lips skeptically. The holy lance belongs to a jester? You must be mistaken, Shadowland. The Holy Lance, if it even exists, exceeds in value everything I own. It is a child's fancy to conceive it will be in the hands of that kitchen rot. Then apparently, it's a tale children from all over seem to believe. And grown men too, for they flock to him as to a crusade. The whole region is up in revolt. Revolt? Baldwin's eyes were ablaze. There is no revolt in my domain. Rouse the men, Shadowland. We'll ride tonight and nail the little bastard to a cross if he's so holy. I do not think that's wise, sir. Not wise. Baldwin stepped up, eyes twitching. And why is it not wise? Because, said the Shadowland, this little mob worm, as you call him, commands an army of these worms over a thousand strong. The color drained from Baldwin's face. A thousand? That cannot be. That is all the towns in the forest. That's three times the size of our own garrison. Perhaps more, Daniel said. This news is days old. Every peasant in the duchy seems to have joined him. Baldwin sat down on the bench. His face was taut. The color of spoiled fruit. Ready the men anyway, Shadowlin. I will call to my cousin in Nimes for additional troops. Together, we will cut them down in the forest like saplings. I think you must hurry, Daniel said, for these cowherds were in Mulan view as we speak. It appears they're coming to you. Chapter 104 We came to the edge of the forest, only a half a day's march from Triel. There it was, in the distance. Many towered, seemingly hung in the clouds, the sun glinting off its ochre walls. The good mood of our march dimmed, replaced by a troubled silence. There will be no deceiving them now. All the Triel, including Baldwin, now knew we were here. I called the people closest to me together. Odo, Georges, Emily, Father Leo, and Alois, the woodman from Morrissey. I had constructed a plan, but it depended on help from within. I have to go on the Triel, I told them. I do too, Odo chortled. And Georges, and Alois here. I want to open Baldwin's eyes with an eye wrench. No, I smiled at his joke. I meant alone. In Triel, I have friends who will help. Just how do you intend to get in there? Georges asked. Sneak past the guards while Odo here juggles balls? They'll never let you through the gates. Listen, if we're to take this castle, it can only be through trickery, not force of arms. Baldwin has few friends, even within his own walls. I have to gauge the mood inside. All right. But it's a huge risk, Alois agreed. So, what's your big plan? I pointed towards the town. Father, your eyes are best. Are those riders coming from there now? Everyone spun their heads to see. Where? Father Leo said. I don't see anyone. When the priest turned back, I handed him his prayer beads, which I lifted out of his robe. His eyes widened with surprise. Emily smiled. Everyone started to laugh. 
I'm a jester. You don't think I would go in there without a trick or two? Odo grunted skeptically. Your tricks may be awful enough here, but if you drop the ball in there, the rest of us are left plowing the north field with our God-given hoe, if you catch my drift. Send someone else. Their God-given hoe is their dick. They're, they're going to be left with their dicks in the dust. That's what he's saying. He's not saying he's a pimp. He doesn't have... No one in this world have, has a God... You know what? I don't see another way, I shrugged. Except to surround the castle with our shovels and picks and storm Baldwin's army in one massive charge. Otto and George swallowed uneasily at each other, considering that unseemly prospect. The smith glanced around, weighing my suggestion, then slapped me on the back. So, Hugh, when do you go? Chapter 105. That night, I lay with Emily by a fire. Ugh, being that close to a fire probably just makes the stink burn. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I felt her nervousness as I wrapped my arm tightly around her. Don't be worried for me, I said. How can I not? You're walking into a lion's den, and there's other things on my mind. What things? The stars are out. We are here. I can feel the beating of your heart. Please do not mock me, Hugh. Emily turned to my arms. I cannot help myself. My mind has been returning to Bore. Bore? Anne. Emily rose up on an elbow. Stephen's wrath will be great now that his men have failed. He'll want this lance more than ever. I'm worried for her. I, I, I don't share your concern. This dude must be a Capricorn. Because that's how I would have responded to. Just a blank look like... Okay. I told somebody that if we were the only two people left on the planet and they were choking on something and I was right there, I would tie my shoe. Yeah. So... I know you have no love for her. She stroked my face. But Anne is a prisoner too. Just as surely as if she were behind bars. You must understand that. I'm pledged to her, Hugh. It's a bond I simply cannot run away from and break. You're pledged to me now. I tickled Emily's ribs. Can you break that one? No. She sighed and kissed me on the forehead. That I will never break. I leaned down to her and kissed her. Oh, she opened her mouth to me, oh, but showed a little hesitation. A thousand other people were about. Her breast came to life in my touch, hard and wooling through her robe. I felt my cock spring alive too. Come with me, I said. Come where? We're in the forest. A country boy knows. I winked a little mischievously. I have a spot just for us. I pulled her up, and in the dark of night, with the glimmer of campfires and the form of sleeping men all around, we snuck off. How can you be so impressively aroused, Emily asked, pretending to pull away from me, with what lies before you in the morning? In a small clearing, we threw ourselves into each other's arms, cushioned by a small bed of leaves. You know what I'm not going to do? Since this is obviously an explicit episode, like I think all the episodes are explicit and I was just fucking fooling myself. But what I'm not going to do is lay my beloved wife down on a bed of fucking leaves. 
Don't these people get itchy by grass? Do y'all not? Like, when I was a kid, when I was a now, if I laid down the grass and then I got up, like, I would itch. And then when I got in the shower, the itch would itch even more. And then it will wash away. It was weird. Nobody else? Just me? All right, fine. I don't give a fuck. Without speaking, we lifted our clothing and felt our bodies warm to the touch of each other. Still new. A gift I could not believe was mine. There was a deeper, knowing look in Emily's eyes. She put my hand on her breast and took a breath. I felt her heart beating like a doze. Her nipple grew tight and firm at my touch. Is my spot to your satisfaction? I asked. That depends, she grinned. Just which spot is that? She kissed me, her tongue searching mine with an ardor I had not felt from her before. You know that they're using those hazel twigs to clean their, their in between their teeth, right? Like a toothpick? They're not using it to brush their teeth. You know what? I gotta look that up now. This is totally uncalled for, but yet at the same time, I feel like we deserve to know when were toothbrushes invented? 1780 people toothbrushes were not invented until 1780 when was toothpaste invented i love that you know what i'm thinking google wasn't invented until the 1800s what did they brush their teeth with before toothpaste clean their teeth with before toothpaste was invented Before toothpaste was invented, people used all sorts of dry, rough things as an abrasive to clean their teeth. Things like crushed eggshell, pumice, the burnt hooves of animals. Before toothbrushes were invented, people used twigs or their fingers to brush their teeth. This is from the dentalmaven.com. What the fuck? I'm not sticking your tongue. Don't put your tongue in my mouth. A couple hundred years ago, when people didn't know about brushing their teeth, most people had black, rotten teeth, especially if they ate lots of sugar like Queen Elizabeth I. When was Queen Elizabeth I around? I'm sorry, y'all. This is a rabbit hole. When was Queen Elizabeth I queen? 1558. Black teeth then. What the fuck you think they got back in 1080? What exactly are we working with here? Keep your tongue from my mouth. I've seen people's tongues when they're brushing them and they got like white stuff on them. They literally got to brush off. You're telling me that you're letting somebody stick that thing in your mouth? That thing will give you herpes. <laughs> Keep your tongue out my mouth and just stick it in my ass. Alright, because you got enough shit on it already. What's a little bit more? Eat my ass like groceries. I wiped with a leaf four days ago. I'm ready. She climbed on my lap and I buried my head in the softness of her breasts. I was aching for her and I could see in her eyes she felt the same for me. I moved inside Emily. Her breaths became heated and purposeful. Her eyes did not leave mine and I loved that. I felt as if every thrill and instance of her passion, each tremor and jolt shooting through me, narrowed into one enormous burst. At the moment of climax, we cried out. Then we muffled each other and laughed. Emily rested with her head on my chest, the distant campfires lighting up the night. She sighed, so I knew she was happy. But then a shiver rippled across her shoulders. 
What happened, she said warily, once Baldwin is defeated? Things cannot just go back. These lands have been in his family for generations. I've been thinking that too, I said. I have no wish to govern, only to right this wrong. I was thinking I would write to the king. I have heard he's a fair man. I have heard he is fair, Emily took a breath. But he is also noble. I turned her face to me. You said you know the king. You said your father was a member of his court. Well, yes, I have met him, but... Then you could intercede, I said. You could tell him we are only humble men who want to return to their lives and work in peace. We have no thought of stealing anyone's title or territory. He will have to see. I felt Emily nod, her chin upon my chest, but distantly, as if she were not convinced. Don't be so worried for me, I held her tightly. You have made me strong. I don't worry just for you, but for all that will follow. For you, I have a secret charm. And what is this charm that will protect me? I laughed, stroking her hair. I'm coming along. What? I raised her up. There is no way, Emily. I can't allow it. There is every way, she said, her eyes unwavering. I am in this as deeply as you, Hugh DeLuke. I told you, we're together. Our fates entwined. I'm going with you. That is all. I moved to argue, but she stopped me with a finger to my lips. Then she put her head back on my chest and held me as if she would never let go. My 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 wife does that sometimes. She doesn't put she doesn't kiss me or put a finger to my lips or anything like that. She just gives me a look and I just stop talking. It's one hundred percent effective. I've tried it. it. Apparently, once you know how to do it, you're immune to it because she just. <laughs> Chapter one hundred six. Daniel Gui bolted into the planning room. My lord, your jester's army has been sighted. It lies half a day from the city, at the edge of the forest. You mean the rabble, Baldwin sniffed. His advisors, the bailiff and chamberlain, seemed delighted with the news. You must attack them, the bailiff wheezed. I know these peasants. Their courage will crumble at the first sight of a fight. Their resolve is only as strong as their last ale. It appears the resolve is stiffened, Daniel observed. This jester has given them hope. They outnumber us three to one. But we have horses and crossbows, Baldwin said. They have only tools and wooden shields. If we go after them in the woods, Daniel said, all of our horses and crossbows will be reduced to nothing. Your men will be slaughtered just like Stevens. The jester has this lance. It emboldens them. The Shadowland was right, my lord, said the Chamberlain. Even if you won, you would turn each carcass into a hero's grave. You must hear their demands. Consider them, even disingenuously, promising the slightest gain if they return to their fields. You're a wise, Chamberlain, Baldwin grinned. These peasants have no means for a long siege. They will grow bored and tired as soon as their bellies start to ache. The bailiff and the Chamberlain puffed back their agreement. Do not forget, my lord, Daniel cut in. The jester has this lance. They believe it makes them right. This lance will rest in Triel before the negotiation is done, said Baldwin. They will give it up for a bag of wheat, and they will give him up too. I will have the fool's head upon his precious lance and place it before my bath. I merely meant, Daniel pressed on, that you take a risk by inviting this siege. Baldwin slowly rose. He walked around the table and put his arm across Daniel's shoulders. Come, Baldwin motioned him towards the fire. 
a word with you by the light. A lump grew in Daniel's throat. Had he gone too far? Had he angered his liege, who he was pledged to serve? The duke wrapped his arm around Daniel tighter, drew him close to the flames, then smiled. Do you for a moment think I have any intention of handing over even a cup of grain to this traitorous puke? I'll be the laughingstock of France. I've contacted my cousin. He sends a thousand troops. Let the idiots begin their siege. We will eat meat while they boil roots. When the reinforcements arrive, we will open the gates and crush them. You and I, Daniel, we'll make sure not a single gray-haired grandfather amongst this rabble leaves Triel alive. Baldwin brought Daniel's hand so close to the flame that he had to restrain himself from crying out. No one threatened my rule. Least of all, these miserable spawns. So, how does that plan sound, Shadowland? Daniel's heart pounded furiously. His mouth was dry as dust. He looked into his liege's eyes and saw nothing but dark holes. Most wise, my lord. Chapter 107 The following night, outside the gates of Triel, a Hebrew merchant, carrying his sack of wares across his back, approached the gates as they began to close. He wore the dark wool robe and the fringed shawl that a shepherd him a skull cap upon his head, and held a rusted staff. With him was his young wife, dressed in modest clothes, her hair pinned under a black scarf. Move it along, Jews, growled the guard. The checkpoint was manned by a team of pale-helmeted soldiers, hurrying the travelers along like oxen into a pen. The guard stopped the merchant when he reached the gate. Where do you come from? From the south. I peeked from under my hood. Rusalon. And what's in the sack? He poked at it. Where's for the kitchen? Olive oil. Pans. A new utensil called a fork. You stab your meat with it. Want to see? What if we stabbed you with it, you little pest? You say you came from Bruce alone. What have you seen? We've heard the forests are teeming with rebels. In the east, perhaps, but in the south there's only squirrels and Italians. Anyway, it's of no concern to us. No. Nothing's a concern to your lot, except a fee. That's racist. Come on. He pushed us roughly. Get your tick-bitten asses in. I mean, I understand that they're writing the ire about Jewish people because they believe the Jewish people killed Jesus Christ, but... Dude, like, that's bad. <laughs> Emily and I hurried through the gates. Inside the thick limestone walls, heavy beams were braced against the ground to bolster the gates against assault. I glanced around. The towers and ramparts were manned by dozens of troops. They were heavily armed with crossbows and lances, gazing eastward. From under my hood, I flashed Emily a wink. Come. We climbed the hill leading to the center of town in Baldwin's castle. Soldiers on horseback shot about, clattering over the rough stone. Carts dragged rocks and shields down to the outer walls. The defenses were being readied. The air was sharp with the sulfurous smell from vats of burning pitch. And from y'all. Sulfurous smell of you. And your teeth. And your life. I mean, I realize there's some people out there whose houses stink. And they don't understand that their house stinks because they've lived there so long they're used to the smell. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like they have that odor. But it's their family odor. And it's been there for so long that you don't even think twice about it. It's just... They've lived in this so long, they're just used to it. And I guess these people are just used to the funk. They got the funk. 
They brought it on. They wanted it all. But, dude, like, ugh. Every town would be a different smell. It just, oh, my God. I can understand how the Black Plague ran through there like that. It didn't have far to go. It was probably on their teeth. Here, this way, I said. It was the Market Street. Stalls of bakers and butchers were still open for business. And swarming with flies. Ew. Others, which sold tin and tools and cloth, were closed for the night. Emily and I hurried through a neighborhood that seemed to be home for these merchants. There were not only huts, but stone houses, some with iron gates guarding small courtyards. The smell of burning lard was everywhere. I stopped before a two-story dwelling with a tin scroll-like ornament hammered next to a doorway. Emily, we're here. I knocked on the door. A voice called out from inside, some shuffling, and then the door cracked open. A familiar face looked out from under a skull cap. We've traveled a long way, I said. We were told we will find friends here. If you're in need, we are friends, the man replied. But who told you this? Two men in the forest, I said. The man arched his brow, confused. One named Shorty. I asked him what position makes the ugliest children. When he could not say, I told him, ask your mother. The man's eyes grew wide. Then his beard parted into a smile. Oh, Jeffrey, I grinned, removing my hood. Can it be you do not remember your jester? Chapter 108 The merchant, whose life I had saved on the road to Triel, broke into a hearty smile. He held me by the shoulders, then hugged me, and hustled Emily and me through the door. I took off my skull cap and shook out my red hair. Jeffrey laughed. I said to myself, you look like no Jew I have ever seen before. We are pork-eating Jews. I grinned. We hugged each other again, like old friends. I laid down my staff and unfastened my robe. This is Emily. She's a close friend. This is Jeffrey, who once helped to save my life. And I was only able to, Jeffrey said, because Hewitt once saved mine. Ours. Isabel and Thomas came in from another room. As I live and breathe, she exclaimed, it is a gesture with the lies of a cat. We were led to a sitting room lined with weavings and old scrolls and tracks. Jeffrey offered us his bench. What is the mood of the city? I asked. He frowned. Foul. What used to be a thriving city is now just a pig pen that feeds the duke, and it will only get worse. There's talk of an uprising somewhere, an army of peasants in the forest who took up arms, headed here. Farmers, shepherds, woodsmen. Led by a fool with some sort of relic gotten from the crusade. A lance with their savior's blood on it. You mean this? I took out my staff and let his eyes travel over it. I smiled. I have heard of such an uprising. The merchant's eyes grew wide. This is you. You are the jester. Hugh. I nodded. Then I told Jeffrey my plan. Chapter 109 the following morning, my work was done and it was time to head back to the forest. Emily agreed to stay behind in town. It was safer for her there, with the terrible battle that was to come. She fought me gamely, but this time I would not back down. When it was time to leave, I hugged her close and promised I would see her in a couple of days. I lifted her face and smiled at her. Black teeth everywhere. My beautiful Emily... When we first met, I was afraid to even talk to you. Yeah, because of your breath. Now, I'm afraid to let you go. 
Remember how you laughed at me and said that may be, but it will not always be? In a day or two, I guess we'll find out, she said, trying to look brave. She leaned up and kissed me. God bless you, Hugh. Tears welled in her eyes. In all the world, I hope to see you again. I hoisted my sack and headed down the lane, leaving a final farewell at the end of the street. I buried my head in my hood and hunched under my shawl, avoiding any eyes in uniform. As I wound back down the hill, I turned, watching the town recede. Pain tore at my heart. All that I now loved remained in this place. A tremor of panic ripped through me that I might never see Emily again. When I got back to the forest, I found the men waiting and ready for a fight. We marched at the break of dawn. Farmers, woodmen, tanners, and smiths, in every form of clothing imaginable, carrying homemade bows and wooden shields stretched out as far as I could see. At the head of the procession, I felt my blood surge with pride. Whatever the outcome, these men had stood tall. They were people of courage and character. To me, they were all high-born. Every settlement we came to, a crowd formed, cheering us on. Look, it's the gesture, they would exclaim. They will bring their children, too. See, child, you will always say you saw the lands. Word spread like a brush fire. More joined us all the time. All the while, Triel grew closer, the color of an amber sunset. Its formidable towers reached high into the sky. The nearer we got, the more the mood stiffened. The ranks grew worried and quiet. The sun was high when we reached the outskirts of town. No force had charged out to confront us yet. Instead, downtrodden town people stood aside, exhorting us on. It's the jester, see? He exists. He is real. The massive limestone walls of outer city rose above us with the crillinated battlements. At each opening, I could see teams of soldiers, their helmets gleaming. They did not attack, though. They let us come. They allowed us to march within a hundred yards of the outer walls. Just out of arrow shot, I signaled the column to a halt. I ordered the ranks to fan out around the perimeter, forming a massive ring twenty men deep. No one knew what to do, to shout or charge. Go on, Hugh, Georgia said with a smile. Go on and tell them why we're here. I stepped out, trying to calm the thumping in my chest. I shouted to the defenders above the gates. We are from Vale de Pere and Morrissey and St. Felix and every town in the duchy. We have business before Lord Baldwin. Chapter 110 For a moment, there was no answer. I thought, what do I do now? Say those same words again? Then a brightly clad figure who I recognized from my stay here as Baldwin's Chamberlain leaned out. The Lord is napping, he yelled back. He knows no business before him today. Go back to your wives and farms. Curses and taunts began to rise from the crowd. The pig is napping, someone growled. Let us be careful not to wake him up, friends. A thunderous jeer rose. Weapons rattled. Shouts rang out. Someone rushed forward and pulled down his leggings. Come on, Baldwin. Here's my ass. Try and fuck me now. <laughs> <laughs> A few rash ones charged up to the walls, spitting curses and insults. Stay back, I yelled, but it was too late. From the ramparts came the blood-chilling whine of arrows in reply. One man gagged, an arrow piercing his neck. Another clutched his head. 
A young boy sprinted up and hurled a stone, which fell halfway up the wall. A wave of burning black pitch rained down on him. The boy fell, rolling on the ground, his skin sizzling with flame. Go home, you stinking filth, spat a soldier from the top. Now everyone moved forward in a rush. Some of us shot off fire arrows, which streaked across the sky and died harmlessly against the massive walls. Volleys of arrows whooshed down on us in return. So heavy and strong, they tore through flimsy shields and pierced men in two. The volley sounded like a thunderstorm. Images from the crusade burned in my brain. I waved frantically for everyone to move back. Some were angry and wanted to charge. They had followed me for days with little food. All they had thought of was striking their picks and hammers against the walls of Triel, tearing it down chunk by chunk. Others, seeing blood and death for the first time, swarmed back, afraid. This was what Baldwin wanted, to show that our makeshift weapons were useless. Anger was setting in, and we hadn't even begun the siege. My blood was racing. I had brought a thousand men here. We had the town surrounded. We had the will to fight, but not the weapons to break through. All Baldwin had to do was open the gates, and I knew all but the most hardened fighters would turn and flee. But the gates did not open. No war horses thundered out. He was probably amused at our spineless lack of resolve. The commitment of this entire army hung in the balance. All eyes turned towards me. A farmer carrying a broken hoe came up to me. You have brought us here, Jester. How will we take this castle? With this? He threw the hoe down as if it were a useless twig. No. I tapped my chest where my heart was. We will take their castle with this. Get the raiding party together, I told Odo. My spine stiffened with resolve. We go tonight. Chapter 111 That night, as most of our ranks dozed, I got together the twenty brave men who will sneak into the castle. There were Odo and Alphonse from our town, Aloise and four of his best from Morrissey. For the rest, we chose strong-hearted men who we could trust, who would not back down from killing with their bare hands. One by one, they arrived before my fire, wondering, why were they here? How do you intend to take the castle with us, Aloise said, when you cannot make a dent in it with a thousand men? We'll have to take it without a dent, I said. I know a way inside. Come with me now or go back to sleep. We armed ourselves with swords and knives. Father Leo blessed us with a prayer. I handed him the lance. On the chance I don't return. <laughs> you know, I know it said I handed him the lance, but for some reason I've been listening to way too much music with my kids. been listening to way too much new music. I read I handed him the lance. I had to fight myself from saying I handed him the blicky. I handed him the glizzy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Are you ready then? I looked around at the men. I clasped each of their hands. Say goodbye to your friends. Pray we see them on the other side. Are we talking about heaven? Otto asked. I was speaking of the wall, I said, and faked a laugh. Under the cover of night, we crept away from the campsites and out behind the hut at settlements and narrow streets that clung to the city walls. Torches lit up the defenses above us, lookouts peering for signs of life. We crouched in the shadow of the wall. Otto tapped my shoulder. So, Hugh, this ever been done before? What? People like us, bondsmen, rising against their liege. A group of farmers rose against the Duke of Borges, I said. The smith seemed satisfied. 
We crept a little farther. He tapped me again. So how'd it turn out for them? I pressed my back against the wall. I think they were slaughtered to a man. Oh, the big smith grunted. His face turned white. I must have shaggy hair. They were discovered talking under the walls. Now shush. We continued, creeping along the east edge of town. In the crook of a ravine, we came across a shallow moat. It reeked, stagnant with putrid water and sewage. You got nerve. It was more of a large ditch. We could cross it with a jump. At each point, I scanned the base of the wall for a sign of the tunnel, once shown to me by Palimpost. None. As we moved along, the terrain grew tougher to traverse, and the walls rose high above us, too tall for any kind of assault. That was good. No lookouts would be manning the walls here. But where was the blasted passageway? I began to get worried. Soon it would be light. Another day. There was a chance Baldwin would unleash his warriors to break our will. You're sure you know what you're doing, Hugh? Odo muttered. Hell of a time to ask, I snapped. Then I spotted it. A formation of piled rocks concealed behind some brush on the bank of a moat. I sighed with relief. There. We scurried down the embankment and straddled the moat. Then I pulled my way up the other side. I ripped through the dense brush and began to tear apart this pile of rocks. The declining pile revealed the entrance to a tunnel. Never doubted you for a moment, Otto laughed. Chapter 112 The crawl space was as I remembered. Dark, narrow, barely enough room for a man to pass, and shin deep with murky, foul-smelling water trickling down to the moat. There were no torches to light our way. I had to trust my instincts against the dark, filling along the cold, rocky walls. I knew each one of my party had his heart in his throat, too. It was like crawling in a hell. Cold, pitch black, odiferous. Floating shit and other refuge lapped against our feet. Moments stretched along like hours. With every step, I grew less sure of the way. After countless prayers, I came upon a fork in the tunnel. One path continued up. The other went left. I decided to follow the path upward, since the castle stood at the top of the hill. We're all right, I whispered, but I wasn't really sure. The word rippled down the line. We climbed higher and higher, cutting through the mount on which Baldwin's castle was built. Above us, Triel slept. Suddenly, a blast of air hit me from ahead. I noticed light slanting onto the wall. I quickened my pace and came to a spot I vaguely remembered. The dungeon, where Palimpos had sneaked me into the tunnel. I passed the word, ready your weapons. Then, with a deep breath, I pressed at the stone in the cave where the light trickled in. It moved. I pushed it a little more. The slab gave way. Soon, all twenty men had pulled themselves out of the tunnel. By my reckoning, it was still before dawn. The relief detail had not come. Two guards were asleep, their feet up on a table. One was that pig Armand who had delighted in torturing me when I was captive here. A third guard snoozed on the stairs. I signaled Odo and Alois, and each silently crept behind one of the guards. We had to take them quickly. Any sound would be as good as an alarm. At my nod, we were on them. Odo took the one on the stairs and as he gagged in a loud snore, wrapped his thick, muscular arms around the man's throat. Alois cupped his hand over the mouth of the one sleeping at the table. His eyes flew open. As he strained the screen, the woodman slid a sharp blade across his neck. 
The guard's leg stiffened and shook, more of a spasm than a fight. Armand was mine. At the sound of commotion, he blinked himself awake, befuddled. Clearing his eyes, he bolted up to see his partner slumped to the floor and a familiar face grinning down at him. Remember me? I winked. Then I bashed him in the face with the hilt of my sword. He toppled backwards, kicking the table aside and landed, mouth bloody on his back. He reached behind him for an iron stake leaning on the wall. Francois, one of the Morsi woodsmen, stepped up. No need to be so civilized. The woodsman shrugged and hammered Armand to the floor with his club, stepping on his throat and pinning the struggling jailer's airway with his huge foot. Armand gagged and choked, flattling his arms from side to side. But the woodsman's step was like a vice. In a minute, Armand's arms relaxed. Quick, I said to Otto and Aloise, into their uniforms. We stripped the guards and donned their purple and white tunics, his first new clothes and like... Yeah. Then we put on their helmets and armed ourselves with their swords. We dragged the bodies back down the corridor. Suddenly, there was a creaking of a door opening above. Voices were coming down the stairs. Time to wake up, sleepyheads, someone called. It's almost light. Hey, what's going on? 916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. You can leave a review on Spotify. Uh, it takes like 13 seconds. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can leave a review on Podchaser. You can leave a review on the Good Pods app. You can also now check us out on Amazon Music, which is kind of dope. You can donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast. One dollar will get you like 129 different items of content, like bonus content and writings, and it's dope. Uh, you can also donate at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast or on the Good Pods app. You can leave a tip in the tip jar. Thanks so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. This episode really makes me want to go brush my teeth and gargle anything to fill that mintiness in my mouth and I just brushed my teeth before I started this episode like it doesn't matter it doesn't even I feel like putting on more deodorant like it doesn't matter thank y'all so much for listening I greatly appreciate it y'all be good I'm gonna holler you later peace Outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know my name,